Chapter thirty one of The Wanderer or Female Difficulties. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Wanderer or Female Difficulties by Fanny Burney. Chapter thirty one. The sole hope of Ellis for extrication from these difficulties hung now upon Mr. Giles Arb whom she had begun to apprehend, had forgotten his promise, when, to her great relief, he appeared. Nothing could be less exhilarating than his air and manner. He looked vexed and disconcerted, sat down without answering the civilities of her reception, sucked, for some minutes, the head of his stick, and then began talking to himself, from time to time ejaculating little broken phrases aloud, such as, it ain't right. It can't be right. I wish they would not do such things. Fair young creatures, too, some of them. Fie, fie. They've no thought. That's it. They've no thought. Mighty good hearts. And very pretty faces, too, some of them. But sad little empty heads. Except for their own pleasures. No want of flappers there. Fie, fie. Then, letting fall two guineas and a half upon the table, "'There, my dear,' he cried, in a tone of chagrin, "'there's all I've been able to gather amongst all your scholars put together. What they do with their money I don't know, but they are all very poor, they tell me, except Lady Aramede, and she's so rich that she can't possibly attend, she says, to such pitiful claims. Though I said to her, if the sum, ma'am, is too small for your ladyship's notice, the best way to show your magnificence is to make it greater, which will also be very acceptable to this young person. But she did not mind me. She only said that you might apply to her steward at Christmas, which was the time, she believed, when he settled her affairs. But as to herself, she never meddled with such insignificant matters. "'Christmas!' repeated Ellis. "'And tis now but the beginning of April!' I went next to the Miss Crawleys, but they only fell a-laughing. All I could say, and all I could do, and all I could represent, only set em a-laughing. I never knew what at, nor they neither, but they did not laugh the less for that. One of them stretched her mouth so wide that I was afraid she would have cut her cheek through to her ears, and the other frightened me more still, for she giggled herself so black in the face that I thought she must have expired in a fit and not one among us knew what it was all for. But the more I stared at them, the louder they laughed. They never stopped, so they were so weak that they could not stand. And then they held their sides, and were quiet enough. So I happened to ask them, if they had done, and that set them off again. They are merry little souls. Not very heavy, I believe, in the head. I don't suppose they have a thought above once in a twelve-month. I don't suppose they have a thought above once in a twelve-month. He had then applied to their brother. Sir Marmaduke professed himself extremely shocked at the circumstances which had prevented his sisters from profiting longer by the instructions of so fine a virtuosa as the Ellis. But he hoped that something might yet be adjusted for the future, as he was utterly ashamed to offer such a trifle as this account to so accomplished a young person as the Ellis. "'I told him then,' continued Mr. Giles, that it was no trifle to you for you were so very poor that you could not pay for your clothes but i could never obtain any other answer from him than that he had too much consideration for you to think of offering you a sum so unworthy your merit 
"'This, indeed, is rather singular,' cried Ellis, half-smiling, "'that the smallness of my demands should make one person decline paying me from contempt, and another from respect.' Next, he related, he went to Miss Brinville, who, with great displeasure, denied, at first, having ever been a scholar of Miss Ellis. The young woman had been with her, indeed, she said, to choose her a harp, or tunit, or something of that sort, but she had found her so entirely unequal to giving any lessons, and the professor, her present master, had so completely convinced her of the poor young woman's ignorance, that it was quite ridiculous to suppose having seen anybody, once or twice, for an odd hour or two, was sufficient for being considered as their scholar. Upon this, continued Mr. Giles, I told her that if she were not amongst your pupils, she must be amongst your friends, and in that case I doubted not, from your great good nature, you would dispense with her payment. Well, sir, cried Ellis, laughing, and what said my friend? Good me, all was changed in a minute. She had never, she said, had such a thought as receiving you but as her music-mistress. So then again I demanded the money. For if she is not your friend, said I, you can't expect her to teach you for nothing. But she told me she was just quitting Bright Helmstone, and could not pay you till she got to London. I really can't find out what makes them all so poor, but they are prodigiously out of cash. Those operas and gauzes, I believe, ruin them. They dress themselves so prettily, and go to hear those tunes so often, that they have not a shilling left for other expenses. It ain't right. It can't be right. And so I told her. I gave her some advice. "'There's a great concert to-night, Miss Brinville,' said I. "'If you take my counsel, you won't go to it, nor to ever another for a week or two to come, and then you can pay this young lady what you owe her, without putting yourself to any difficulty.' But she made me no reply. She only eyed me askance, as if she would have liked prodigiously to order me out of the room. I thought I never saw her nose look so thick. I never took so much notice of it before, but it spoils her beauty sadly. After this I went to Miss Sycamore, and I surprised her playing upon her harp. "'This is lucky enough,' said I. "'Miss Sycamore, I find you in the act of reaping advantage from the very person who wants to reap advantage from you.' So then I demanded your money. But she told me that she has none to spare, and that she could not pay you yet. "'Why, then,' said I, "'Miss Sycamore, you must really give her back her instructions.' I thought this would have picked her, but she won't easily be put out of her way. So she threw her arms round her harp, with the prettiest languishment you can imagine, making herself look just like a picture, and then she played me a whole set of airs and graces, quite ravishing, I protest, and when she had done, there, she cried, there, Mr. Arb, those were her instructions, carry them back. I declare I don't know how I could be angry with her, she did it with such an elegant toss. But it was not right, it could not be right. So I was angry enough, after the first moment. "'Pray, Miss Sycamore,' said I, "'what have you done for this young lady to expect that she should do all this for you? Have you got her any place? Have you procured her any emolument? Have you given her any pleasure? Have you done her any honour?' She had not a word to answer, so she twirled her fingers upon her harp, and sung and played till I was almost ravished again. But I would not give way, so I said, "'Miss Sycamore, if she owes you neither place nor profit, neither pleasure nor honour, I should be glad to know upon what pretense you lay claim to her time, her trouble, her talents, and her patience.' "'Oh, could such a question,' cried Ellis, "'be put more at large for all the harassed industrious, to all the unfeeling indolent, 
What reflections might it not excite? What injustice might it not obviate? Why, I'll say it anywhere, my dear, if you think it will do any good. I always give my opinion. For I never see what a man has one for, if he must not utter it. However, I could make nothing of Miss Sycamore. Those young ladies who play and sing in public, at those private rooms, of four or five hundred people, have their poor little heads so taken up, between the compliments of the company when they are in the world, and their own when they are by themselves, that there in a moment left them for a little thought. His next visit was to Lady Kendover, by whom he was received, he said, with such politeness, and by whom Ellis was mentioned with so much consideration, that he thought he should quite oblige her ladyship, by giving her an opportunity to serve a young person of whom she spoke with so much civility. Upon which, continued he, I told her about your debts, and how much you would thank her to be as quick as possible in helping you pay them. But then she put on quite a new face. She was surprised, she said, that you should begin your new career by running into debt, and much more at my supposing that she should sanctify such imprudence by her name and encouragement. Still, however, she talked about her concern and her admiration in such elegant sentences that, thinking she was coming round, Ma'am, said I, as your ladyship honours this young lady with so generous a regard, I hold it but my duty to tell you how you may show it the most to her benefit. Send for all her creditors, and let them know your ladyship's good opinion of her, and then, I don't doubt, they'll wait her own convenience for being paid. Well, all at once her face turned of a deep brick red, as if I had offered her an affront in only naming such a thing. So then I grew very angry indeed, for, as she is neither young nor pretty, there is no one thing to excuse her. If she had been young, one might have hoped she would mend, and if she were pretty, one might suppose she was only thinking of her looking-glass. But her ladyship is plain enough, as well as old, so I felt no scruple to reprimand her. But I gained no ground, for just as I was beginning to cry down the uselessness of that complimentary language, if it meant nothing, she said that she was very sorry to have the honour to leave me, but that she must go and dress for dinner. But then, just as I was coming away, and upon the point of being in a passion, I was stopped by little Lady Barbara, that sweet fine child, who asked me a hundred kind questions about you, without paying any regard to the winking or blinking of her Aunt Kendover. She is a mighty agreeable little soul. I have taken a great kindness to her. She let out all their secrets to me, and I should like nothing better than to tell them all to you. Only Lady Kendover charged me to hold my tongue." The ladies are very fond of giving that recommendation to us men. I don't know, smiling, whether they are as fond of giving the example. In particular, she enjoined me not to mention Lady Aurora's being your banker. Lady Aurora? Yes, because my cousin would be quite affronted, for she arranges things, Lady Kendover says, so extremely well, that she deserves to have her own way. She likes to have it, too, I believe, very well. Lady Aurora, my banker? Yes, they wrote to Lady Aurora about it, and she sent them word that, if the scheme was agreeable to you, she begged to be considered as responsible for any expenses that you might incur in its preparation. Lady Aurora, then, approves the plan? cried Alice, in much disturbance. Yes, mightily, I believe, though I am not quite sure, for she desired you might not be pressed, nor hurried, for if, she says, in a letter to Lady Barbara, it is not her own desire, 
don't let anybody be so cruel as to urge her we know not her history and cannot judge her objections but she is so gently mannered so sweetly well bred so inexpressibly amiable that it is impossible she should not do everything that is right sweet trusting generous lady aurora cried ellis while tears gushed fast into her eyes with strong but delighted emotion mr giles i see now what path i may pursue and you who are so benevolent will aid me on the way she then entreated him through the medium of lady barbara to supplicate that the beneficence of lady aurora might be exerted in the payment of the debts already contracted not in obviating new ones which she felt no disposition to incur i'll undertake that with all my heart my dear and you'll be sure to have the money for what you like best because it's a man who is to be your paymaster a man yes for lady aurora says that though she shall pay the whole herself ultimately the draft upon the banker for the present must be in the name of her brother ellis changed colour and with far deeper emotion now walked about her room now seated herself now hid her face with her hands and now ejaculated how how shall i decide she then inquired from whom mr giles had received the two guineas and the half-guinea which he had put upon the table from mr tedman mr tedman she said was the only person of the whole set who owed her nothing but to whom on the contrary she was herself indebted not having yet had an opportunity to clear what he had advanced so he told me cried mr giles for i don't believe he forgets things of that sort but he said he had such a regard for you that he would stand to trusting you with as much again put in case you would give him your receipt for paying it off in lessons to his daughter and for this much in the meanwhile as you were not by he consented to take mine you are very kind sir said ellis and mr tedman himself notwithstanding his deficiency in education and language is i believe really good nevertheless i am too uncertain of my power to continue my musical project to risk a new bankruptcy of this nature she then begged him to take back the money with a promise that she would speedily settle what yet remained undischarged of the former account he blamed her warmly mr tedman he said is rich and good-natured you are poor and helpless he ought to give it's only being just you ought to accept or you are only very foolish do not be hasty to blame me my good mr giles there are certain points in which every one must judge for himself with regard to me i must resist all pecuniary obligations except to poor tradespeople cried he nodding a little reproachfully and those you will let work and toil for you gratis ellis shocked and struck to the quick looked deeply distressed perhaps she said i may be wrong justice certainly should take place of whatever is personal however dear or near its interest she paused ruminated irresolute and dissatisfied and then said were i to consult only myself my own feelings whatever they may be should surely and even instantly give way to what is due to others but i must not imagine that i shall be doomed for ever to this deplorable condition and those to whom i may yet belong may blame 
may resent any measures that may give publicity to my situation. Will not this objection have some weight, sir, to lessen your censure of my seeming insensibility, to claims of which I acknowledge the right? What, then, you think, I suppose, that when your friends come to you, they'll be quite pleased to find you have accepted goods and favours from your shoemaker, and your hosier, and your linen-draper, though they would be too proud to let you receive money from the rich and idle? Better sing those songs, my dear, much better sing those songs. Then you'll have money for yourself and everybody. Ellis now breathed hard. Alas! she cried. Justice, reason, common sense, all seem against me. If, therefore, Lady Aurora approve this scheme, my fears and my feelings must yield to such a tide. Again, painfully, she paused, and then, sighing bitterly, added, Tell Miss Arb, sir, to acquaint Lady Kendover, let Lady Aurora be informed, that I submit to their opinions, and accept, upon their own terms, their benevolent assistance. He held out his hand to her, now with exulting approbation, but she seemed overwhelmed with grief, apprehension, and regret. He looked at her with surprise. "'Why now, my dear?' he said, tenderly. "'What's the matter with you? Now that you are going to do all that is right, you must be happy.' "'What is right, alas! For me, at least,' she cried, "'I know not.' I should not else be thus perplexed, but I act in the dark. The measure in which I acquiesce I may for ever repent. Yet I know not how else to extricate myself from difficulties the most alarming, and remonstrances, if not menaces, the most shocking." Heavily she sighed, yet definitively she agreed, that, since unhappily the debts were incurred, and her want of credit made immediate payment necessary, she could not herself, in combining the whole of her intricate situation, find any plan more eligible than that of performing at this subscription concert. End of chapter 31 Recording by Roxana Nazari